Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And it's that time we are finally in our last division of our, what, seemingly two-and-a-half-month-long draft recap series where we're going through every single pick that was made in the 2020 NFL Draft division by division. We're wrapping it up today with the NFC West. Um, Certainly some... Uh, let's just say interesting classes uh always the seattle seahawks seemingly entertaining us on draft night by doing things that nobody saw coming and uh they kept with the tradition this year but before we get to them they're gonna be the first team we talk about uh ej how are you feeling tonight i am doing well this is the end of a very long march but we're pretty excited about it i wanted to thank all the nfc west fans uh for their patience and their diligence Uh, We put out a podcast uh, earlier in the week about Patrick Mahomes, and we heard from the NFC West fans who said, where's my draft (laughs) recap? Which, you know, is pretty cool. Some people might think that's annoying, but hey, I just think that means they're listening and waiting and excited about it like we are, so... Uh, we're here to we're here to deliver. We're here to give it to you in some good classes, some really interesting athletes, um, some fun matchups. It's a it's a strong finish. It's not a limp to the finish. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get into it. It's a very competitive division and uh, added a lot of talent. So yeah, I'm feeling good. What am I drinking? I am drinking um, limoncello uh, seltzer this evening. Uh, for those of you that didn't listen to the last draft recap taking a little bit of a break from drinking because I have this feeling the season might um, <laughs> load up my limit on that. And, You're a uh, Bears it's nice. fan. It's tradition. <laughs> That's right. Sometime you got to just tap the dashboard, do the check liver light. And um, anyway, so I'm drinking some bubbly flavored water and pretending it's more tasty bubbly flavored beer water, but it ain't. Uh, and it is what it is. What do you have to drink tonight? So I, I put this out on uh, Twitter. I was kind of experimenting earlier in the day because I wanted to uh, see if this would work before I made it for the show. And spoiler alert, it totally works. It's really good. Uh, I had a cocktail right before uh, COVID kind of ruined the world, and it's called a smoke it if you got it. And so I was kind of trying to recreate it today using stuff that I had. And it is amazing. Uh, I think it's more of a winter cocktail than a summer cocktail. But if you really like the taste of coffee and rye whiskey and scotch and a little bit of maple and black walnut, all these kind of like fall wintery flavors, uh, and you're willing to drink them in summer, it's great. It's ounce and a half of rye, uh, about a half ounce of Lafroy 10-year to give it a little smokiness, um, a little bar spoon of maple syrup. You can go lighter on the maple syrup if you don't like it to be as sweet. 
and then three dashes of black walnut bitters, which you should be able to find at like BevMo or Total Wine or something like that. Most beverage stores carry those. Great, great bitters. And then what you do is you make some coffee and then you freeze it in ice cubes and you stir it over three coffee ice cubes. And so you get the rye, you get the smoke, you get the maple, the walnut, the coffee all together. And it is so damn good. I I love this drink. I'm going to keep kind of playing with it, see if I could, uh, you know, figure out maybe some better ratios. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how much maple syrup to put in there, but damn, this is good. I really, really like it. I all of a sudden feel wholly inadequate with a seltzer because that sounds (laughs) freaking great. Um, I need to check, though, what kind of maple syrup are you using? Uh, Real Canadian maple syrup. Okay. All right. I don't do the the fake stuff. I'll allow you. Yeah. Yeah, I'll allow it. You Pacific Northwesterners get all get all uppity about your maple syrup up there. Well, actually, that. it's us Northeasterners. Having been born in upstate New York, we made our own <laughs> maple syrup, actually. And, and I'm lucky enough to have a mother-in-law that still ships me um, Vermont maple syrup. So just Ooh. wanted to make sure you weren't Ooh. doing the gummy garbage that people no, call maple God, syrup. No, God, no. Okay, cool. We're Speaking good. of gummy garbage, by the way, uh, so the first three <laughs> rounds of the Seahawks draft, we need to talk about this. And we will, and we will. I know that's that's not the the brightest segue, and and Seahawks fans might not appreciate that. I, I'll preface it with this: we loved everything that happened, like round four and later. Uh, maybe I'll even give you round three. Damian Lewis is kind of on the fringe for me. Starting your draft in the top fifty, you got two top fifty picks, and you pass on. Uh, really a lot of linebackers that we liked better than Jordan Brooks to take Jordan Brooks. <laughs> All of them? <laughs> right. Including Patrick Queen, who went one pick later, and Lord knows how much we love Patrick Queen. And then you take Daryl Taylor when there's also a million edges on the board that we like better. I, I understand, you know, John Schneider's going to do what John Schneider's going to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't get to ask, what the hell? I, I yeah. two, two and a half I, months later, I still don't get it. Yeah, let's take them one at a time. Um, The Jordan Brooks pick, I think, probably is the pick that looks the better of the two. And hear me out. I know it's a 27, and I know draft value-wise, he could have been had much later. I I haven't heard any arguments that, oh, some some teams in the bottom of the first round were after Jordan Brooks, like you typically do, um, like the Bears with Cole Komet, right? And I said, hey, they probably could have taken him at 50, and people were like, oh, no, he would have been off the board. And I'm like, I'm not so sure, but that sounds more reasonable to me than Jordan Brooks was going at the end of the first. Nobody was saying that kind of ever. Jordan Brooks, a really good athletic linebacker out of Texas Tech, some very nice coverage skills, Um, the positives, good range, good coverage skills. He can run and cover, and there are spots in this league, especially in the current offensive mindset, for linebackers that can run and cover. Um, Corey Littleton went undrafted. Let that let that sink yeah. in for a minute. Corey yeah. Littleton, of formerly of the Rams, now of the Raiders, uh, just signed a big free agent contract, and with good reason. He's a great linebacker, and his strength is moving in coverage. Um, Brooks has some of that in his game. Am I saying he's Corey Littleton or worth the same amount? I'm not. I'm saying that a capacity, that ability, is coveted in today's NFL. So. You know, the Seahawks wanted it. 
they went and got it. Um, John Schneider is always going to march to the tune of his own drummer and um, let the chips fall where they may. He doesn't care that Jordan Brooks is always going to be compared to Patrick Queen. He could care less. We talked about this during the live stream. That is not a thing that ever crosses John Schneider's mind. Uh, I'm excited to see him play. I, I can't come in and say, oh, yeah, that's the guy I would have taken. Uh, great value, you know, great choice, great fit. Um, uh, scheme fit match, yeah, value, it's tough to defend. But again, Schneider doesn't care about that. Now, Daryl Taylor, um, this is the one I like a little bit less. Uh, I know Seattle needs extra pressure off the edge. They're not sure whether or not they're going to offer to Jadavian Clowney. Um, but Taylor was one of the guys on tape that didn't really wow me. I just couldn't find that one thing that he did really well all the time. And when I'm looking at edge players, I want them to have one sort of dominant skill that I can really lean on and build up the others. I thought he was a good run defender. Maybe. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I'm not going to draft a guy at 48. Who's a good run defender. Like that's not. And, and the other thing is, um, we talk about stables in running backs or stables in wide receivers all the time and getting a balance of skills. Seattle's not short on run defense, right? Yeah. They, they got Jerron Reed. They, you know, those guys are stout. It's They need some pop. They need some flash off the edge. And uh, look, he's, he's a player versus the run. But like I said, the Hawks already have those. He's got really solid leverage and extension. And I wrote down eater, not a playmaker in my notes. That's not what I want to pick at 48. Um, He's a big guy. He's got decent pop in his hands. He doesn't have a lot of inside rush. um, And he doesn't, he's one of those guys. And there were a lot of these edges in the draft. So it's not just on him who doesn't put it all together to create edge pressure very often. Uh, I wrote that he has tools, but needs a plan. He, he does felt, not rush with a plan. At he all. does not rush with a plan, and he doesn't even hook the skills he has together very often. Occasionally, he does, but you've got to look through a lot of tape to find that. And again, at forty-eight, that doesn't feel like a value to me. Felt a little bit early. And the other thing is the Hawks' record with this position gives me pause. Right? Mm-hmm. They took L.J. Collier last year. He did almost nothing. Um, they haven't been great at selecting um, kind of poppy edge players. And that makes me a little a little more hesitant about the Taylor pick. They've been pretty good with linebackers. Obviously, they've been very good with corners on defense. Uh, they've been very good with interior defensive linemen, like Jaron Reed. Great pick, right? But the edge, some teams just don't do great or do great very often picking certain positions. And this falls into that category. So I've got a little more hesitation on Taylor than I do on Brooks. They're they're honestly better at bringing in edges as free agents. Agreed. You know, Michael Bennett, like I guess in terms of ones that they drafted, Bruce Irvin's probably the best one that John Schneider's drafted, and that's Bruce Irvin. You know, mm-hmm. but Michael Bennett, free agent, um, Jaden Clowney, they traded for. Yeah, uh, and may or may not bring him back as a free agent. Um, you go back to like the 2012, 2013 teams. Um, like Red Bryant, who played defensive end for them, is kind of like a hybrid guy. But even then, he was still really, really effective for what he was as basically like a base end for them. Um, and then they would bring in Cliff Averill, and they would kind of you know move Bryant inside sometimes. They'd move Bennett inside sometimes, then bring in Cliff Averill, who, again, was also a free agent. Like, they've had a lot more success. I think Chris Clemens, uh, if I remember correctly, was also a free agent too, right, from, from those 2012-2013 teams. 
So, you know, they've, they've had a lot more success at edge bringing in guys that they already know could play because for whatever reason, they're just not great at drafting them. Um, I'm with you on Daryl Taylor. Great against the run. He's got tools. He's got a good first step. He's got length. He just doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Um, like you look at some of the tackles he's going up against in the SEC, and he's going to face even better tackles than that uh, in the pros, especially in that division. Uh, you know, McGlinchey's going to have to go against um, Josh Jones from Houston. I think he's going to have to go against, assuming he wins the right tackle job in Arizona. They're going to eat him alive because he doesn't rush with a plan, and he is so damn easy to read. You watch him going against Jedrick Wills, and Wills, I mean, he had his number because he was giving away everything he was going to do just from alignment and stance. And it's like, bro, like you're you're doing nothing to disguise. Like I'm using this move and only that move. So I, see if you can stop it. And then any tackle in the SEC with any modicum of talent was able to stop it because he was so easy to read. Like he, he just he he's not developed at all yet. Like there's some know tools there. <laughs> you want to know what's worse? What? He really struggles against tight ends. Oh yeah, I mean the the one that San Francisco drafted that we're going to talk Charlie Warner. Yeah. Yeah, kicked his no, ass. I know. He killed him. That that should give fans in the NFC West a pause, right? Because uh, there's a really good tight end down the road, um, and he's gonna eat Daryl Taylor's lunch. <laughs> yeah, twice a year. Twice he's, a year. He's gonna. He's absolutely gonna stymie Daryl Taylor. And I'm not talking about on chip blocks. I'm talking about straight up one on one. Taylor struggled to get around um, mobile tight ends who had any sense of leverage, and they really gave him fits. I wrote it in my notes that I was like, you know, he has, he has a tough time against tackles, but man, against tight ends, he gets almost nothing. And that's when you want to see a, a, especially a bigger sort of power-based edge really eat. And he got he got stuffed, and that is that does not portend well for a division that has some decent tight ends who can block. So yeah, I mean the 49ers alone have two tight ends that can beat them. So yep, uh, I, I will say also on Jordan Brooks, um, if you're listening to this, go on YouTube uh, and watch Samuel Gold's video on Jordan Brooks. Again, my complaints about that pick are not because of Brooks as a player. He's a good player. My complaint is that Patrick Queen and Logan Wilson were both available. And my grades on Patrick Queen and Logan Wilson, I think even Sam would agree with this as much as Sam likes Brooks and and, and as good a quality as Brooks has, his system fit and all that kind of stuff. Everything that he does well, both Queen and Wilson can also do, but do better. Like that's that's my complaint. It's not that he's a bad pick. It's that there were better picks that could have been made, in my opinion. Um, Now, Seahawks, their track record, like you said, with linebackers, they're pretty good. So I'm I'm decently confident that Brooks is going to end up being a solid player for them. But I think they missed an opportunity to draft a superstar, um, and I think that's upsetting. Uh, Round three, though, let's talk a little about Damian Lewis. Um, In terms of that LSU offensive line, which is probably going to end up having four guys in the league uh, over the next couple drafts, Lewis was... I would probably say maybe, maybe the second best. Uh, obviously, Cushionberry I think was the best one, and Lewis I felt was fine. Um, I think he has some power. I think he's good on combos, specifically with Cushionberry. I think the, the communication we saw him at the Super Bowl was fine. Like he's he's okay. I wish we saw him at the Super Bowl or Senior Bowl. Excuse me, <laughs> Senior Bowl. Felt like the uh, Super Bowl to us. Which, yeah, I know, you know. right. He, he was okay, um, 
but I think you saw him run into some trouble with guys like Derek Brown that that got under him. He didn't really have the ability to then re-anchor. I mean, he got literally thrown into Joe Burrow for a sack by Derek Brown. Whereas Cushenberry, he was able to really dig that bubble butt in and, and re-anchor when Brown got under him. Lewis just he doesn't have that kind of power. And he also doesn't have the kind of movement skills of some of the other guards in this class either. So he's kind of in this weird kind of in between where he's not super strong he's not super quick he's okay at everything he's not bad at anything like I think he's solid um I'm not sure if he's going to be starting as a rookie or even starting in his second year I think you could do worse for a swing guard pick but I I wasn't like ecstatic with it yeah Lewis the best thing Lewis had going was Cushenberry next to him uh, cause yeah. Cushenberry is amazing. And the two of them work extremely well together. They were late ads to the senior bowl. So they got there, um, late for practice and immediately started just destroying folks in the double team drills, because look, they've worked together for years at LSU. Um, they understand what's going on and they're both very good players. Um, but Lewis, like you said, when he started to get exposed was in one-on-ones in the two-on-one drills, he looked damn good. And everybody kind of went, oh, they're both really good. And the answer is Cushenberry is really good. Lewis is solid. He's okay. You remove Cushenberry from, you know, Lewis's left and let him go one-on-one and you go, oh, he's good. He's got some good power. He can anchor. Um, He's not terribly long. Uh, He is strong. He's very experienced in the SEC. Um but he's not great. And again, he's not a super fluid mover. Uh, he's not a guy that I think is really going to get out in space and run over a safety. Not really his game. So he's solid. And we talked about the sort of, I don't want to say sweet spot, but the, the decent range for guards in this draft was really rounds three through five. And there were a bunch of guys that you could sort of get in three. There was a whole bunch of guys you could go after in four. And then there were still going to be some of those guys that pushed down to round five and you could get a value if you're looking for that. In terms of that, it's right on the the front cusp of that. He was picked, you know, round three, pick 69. And it's sort of the early edge or the leading edge of that guard bubble from this draft. And he is good. He's solid. You know, I think he's safe if you want to call it that. But He's not great, and there are guys that went behind him that I like better because they move a little better or they have better range or they're better one-on-one than he is. So he's a solid pick, and again, felt a little bit early, but John Schneider doesn't care about that. And I don't think he's going to look quite as good without Cushenberry next to him because he's not going to have that in Seattle either. Um, So he's good. He's solid. He might start. I don't see him like immediately coming in. He doesn't have that kind of talent where he's immediately going to come in and push somebody off the roster, take their spot. Um, So I'm fine with it, but I'm just sort of fine with it. And then Seattle's draft turns a little bit. Oh, God, it was so good after that. Mm. So good. (laughs) Yeah, they they really killed the end of the draft. Uh, They went to one of our favorites, a guy that I introduced you to when I came down to your house pre-draft Colby Parkinson uh tight end from Stanford now he broke his foot uh about a month ago uh while he was in Seattle working out so we don't know how that's gonna go but pre-draft Colby Parkinson was wildly underrated he is a very tall guy he runs like a wide receiver he is certainly built like a tight end and one of the reasons you didn't hear his name more is because his quarterback at Stanford who is now Mike Leach's quarterback down in Mississippi uh couldn't hit the broad side of a barn past 10 yards 
Yep. He just can't. He left so many yards on the field. So Parkinson, who's not a, I would say, gifted route runner, but he's he's fine. He's solid as a route runner. It's his speed and his size that really makes him a matchup problem. And he's a decent route runner, good blocker. And, you know, he would get open on a little double move down the seam and the ball would be five yards away from him at 15 yards deep. And there were a lot of those plays. And I, I said, hey, man, look at this. This is he's getting hung out to dry left and right. I actually watched Parkinson one night after you went to bed. And then the next morning, I was like, you got to look at this guy. He's really yep. tall. He's really fast. You know, nobody's talking about him. He was consistently in sort of the early mock drafts, sixth round, maybe up to the fifth round, but typically sixth or seventh round, he was always there. And when I was doing mock drafts early in the process, I was always grabbing him in the, in, you know, the fifth or the sixth. And that was a great value. Came around to draft time. People had sort of warmed up on Parkinson and realized there was more there. Ends up going in the fourth round, pick 133 and getting added to, um, a tight end room in Seattle where they need some consistency. They they have some great players. Will Disley uh, is a has been a bright spot for them, but he got injured. Um, so they 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 feel like they need some more consistency. And of course, he comes in and he breaks his foot. He gets injured. I don't know what it is with Seattle and tight ends. Uh, but if he stays healthy, he's going to give Russell a great red zone target. And really, I think between the twenties, he can do more than he did at Stanford again, because he's, <laughs> we talked about Damian Lewis, not having Lloyd Cushenberry. <laughs> well, yep. Colby Parkinson didn't have Russell Wilson at Stanford. Let's put it that way. Um, and now he would have gone a hell of a lot higher. Yeah. He, he would have been a sort of second or third round <laughs> talked about talent had he had anybody that was really even capable. Um, so he's going to get a huge upgrade. Um, and I think he can do more. So, uh, we like Parkinson a lot. Um, I just think he's, uh, you know, you know, you know what he is. He, he's the guy, you know, he got hurt. So I don't know if he'll be this as a rookie because foot injuries can be problematic, but, uh, maybe 2021, he'll be the guy that they hoped Jimmy Graham would have been when they signed him. Like, like he's in terms of size, speed, yeah. ball skills, you know, running that little out and up down the boundary that Russell can hit in his sleep, um, you know, sluggo seam, all that kind of stuff where it's like, hey, we're, we're trying to create a conflict with the safety down the field between you and DK. I'm going to throw a ball, uh, you know, super high up. Just go make me right. Like that's that's what he can do. You just have to put it in his area. Unfortunately, that wasn't happening at Stanford, despite the fact he was freaking six seven you'd think he'd be an easy target to hit but apparently not but russell can do that um I, I think when he's healthy when he heals up when his foot's okay he gets his movement skills back a quarterback as accurate as russell's going to be able to use his leverage to his advantage just like he did with dk and he's going to be a serious serious weapon i i can't wait to see that um dj dallas i, I know is another pick that you really like dj dallas is one of your guys uh, it seems like Seattle just is overflowing with running backs at this point. Um, I, I, I like the player. No idea how he's going to fit into the roster, though. Well, they keep using him. That's the thing about Seattle is um, you're right. They, they seemingly have a sort of endless rotation of guys that they plug in. Um, you know, Chris Carson is the guy that they really lean on the most. But, man, do they lean on running backs. Like, if you want the closest thing to ground and pound, probably too much, it's the Hawks, right? Pete Carroll and John Schneider, too, love that game. 
They just love that game. And many fans in the Northwest and elsewhere have been clamoring for a long time, you know, let Russell free. Russell is one of the best quarterbacks. And they always point to the game where his headset went out and he had to call, you know, a quarter and a half of his own plays. And the Hawks went on a freaking tear. And they're like, (laughs) why can we not do that more often? Like, he's really good at it. Let him go. They're, you know, almost persistent to a fault. Uh, almost stubborn to a fault was saying, no, we are going to pound the rock. And they do. And that uses up running backs like Carson's been hurt. Um, You know, they hammer the ball a lot more than a lot of teams in this passing area. So, you know, he's going to get some opportunity. And when he does, I think he's a guy that has a lot more than he was able to really show in a super lousy offense at Miami. He was stuck in a, in a crappy offense at Miami, very talented all around runner, good speed catches. Well, Uh, A lot of willingness and pass protection could use a little technique um, upgrade, but I would rather have that combination than the other Um, guy with really good technique who doesn't want it. um, DJ definitely wants it. Uh, And he can pick his way along and follow blocks. He's got some, some patience to his game as well. Occasionally breaks three tackles and then it's showtime. So hopefully he won't have to do that in Seattle. He had to do that regularly in Miami if he wanted any yards. And a lot of times those tackles were, or tackle attempts were behind his line of scrimmage. Um, so, you know, he, he landed with a team that's committed to the run. I think he's got more skills than he showed in college. I think he was a good solid value where they got him um, back into the fourth round. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. And again, if a guy like Chris Carson gets hurt, we could see DJ Dallas get quite a few carries in his first year. I, I, I do think that maybe there were some other positions that they could have prioritized there that they definitely had holes at, but maybe they just really liked Dallas that much. Again, not complaining about the talent. I just, you know, I, I will never understand entirely why John Schneider makes some of the decisions he does and why he prioritizes certain things. But, hey, whatever, he's won a Super Bowl and I haven't, so what do I know? Uh, I go. will say, though, <laughs> I will say, though, that his pick one round later with Alton Robinson, I know exactly what he was doing, and that was giving himself some insurance with Daryl Taylor. Because I think Alton Robinson, honestly, could end up being a better pass rusher than Daryl Taylor, who they drafted, what, two or three rounds earlier than that. Uh, not super long. Uh, you know, I, he actually, I thought he was going to measure longer than he did. He only came in at like 32 and a half inch arms. So I was kind of like, whoa, where'd that come from? I, I, was, I, I was expecting like 6'4", 34 inches. Like he, he wasn't as tall or as long as I expected, but he was exactly as explosive as I expected for like a 265, 270 pounder, you know, running 4'7", jumping 35 inches. Like that, that pop in his first step really showed up. Uh, and, and I think that's really going to be the building block for him. Again, he's another one of those guys who doesn't rush with a plan, but he's even more toolsy than Taylor. And I felt like he was a better, I mean, better playmaker than Taylor as well. Um, I, I, I'm very curious to see how he develops in Seattle because I truly believe just based on watching them in college, like if you put him in a vacuum, I probably would have taken taken Alton Robinson ahead of Taylor anyway. So the fact that they got him so much later, I, I consider that an excellent value. Yeah, this is a great spot for Alton. Now, Alton is he's one of those guys. I've followed Alton because I follow Syracuse a little bit. Again, I was born and raised in upstate New York for the most part. Syracuse went to basketball camp at Syracuse. I've always followed the Orange. And Alton Robinson came in with a lot of fanfare. He was a high-star recruit, chose Syracuse over some other big schools, 
and just toolsy, 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 toolsy. This guy has all the superstar tools, and he had them in high school. We got to see him standing in the lobby in just a t-shirt and shorts at Senior Bowl uh, one night when the the guys there are doing interviews and testing. They go late into the night, and we looked over, and we're like, hey, man, that's Alden Robinson. He doesn't need pads, man. This guy has (laughs) ass you could set a drink on. He is built... (laughs) He is superpower, and what I wrote for this is he is the perfect power end for the Seattle mold, right? That elephant guy that can set the edge, and he's flashy. He's flashier than Daryl Taylor. Now, the frustration at Syracuse, and hopefully not continuing on to Seattle, is he's got all this tools. He's got all this power. He does have a little first-step flash to him. Why doesn't he get to the quarterback more often? And, you know, Kendall Coleman, who was on the other end at Syracuse, got there almost as often and is a completely different player. And I would say overall not as skilled. Uh, so here's a guy with all the skills and all the physical tools. And again, he he doesn't always put the plan together. In fact, he does it, a, I would say, a lot less than you'd hope he would. Um, but there's just more there to work with. Uh, than Daryl Taylor and even if he doesn't develop like we hope he does he's going to be that solid down eating power end for them with a few flash plays every year that make you say oh man why can't he do that more often which would be exactly what he did at Syracuse Um, so great value interesting player and who knows if he takes to the coaching and something you know everybody's been hoping for the last four or five years that uh, the light would go on for him and if the light goes on Again, he's got all those abilities. If he can hook them together more often, it's going to be a massive value. But even if he doesn't, he's going to be a very solid player for them. Yeah, I love, love, love that value. Um, And then to round it out in round six and round seven, they picked up Freddie Swain, you know, one of seemingly a friggin' million receivers coming out of Florida this year, uh, and Stephon Sullivan, the kind of hybrid receiver tight end from LSU who I guess you could say was their second tight end behind Thaddeus Moss, although they used him totally differently. Um, But, you know, Sullivan's kind of like a a move tight end for them. Uh, Personally, I'm not 100% sure. Like, I'm I'm upset for Swain because I felt like on a lot of other teams he would have got more snaps. I don't think he's going to get a whole lot of reps uh, in front of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, or Philip Dorsett even. Um I, I think that if anything, he'll be like number three at best, but I think he's a more talented guy than most number threes. Like I, I could imagine him playing in the slot. I think he could play a little bit outside depending on how they want to use Lockett. Um, like I, I think he's a really, really solid pick for them in the sixth round to get a wide receiver that I think is going to at least challenge for that slot role early on, depending on what Dorsett does. Um, but at worst by 2021, I think he's going to play significant snaps. I think there's a lot of other teams he could have gone to, to play earlier, but considering that he's going to be with Russell and then considering that uh, honestly, after this season, besides Metcalf and Lockett, I'm not sure what their contract situation is. Maybe David Moore expires, maybe Dorsett expires. I think Dorsett only has one year. So maybe 2021, he'll have a better opportunity to get on the field. It's unfortunate that he won't be able to get on the field as much as I think he could have elsewhere in 2020, but uh, really good player, really good value. And then Sullivan, uh, to be honest, with Greg Olson there, with Luke Wilson there, if he's coming back healthy, um, you know, with Parkinson there, like I, I don't imagine he would ever get on the field. Um, 
And, and even then, I think there's a lot of things, and Disley too, I forgot him. And even then, everything that Sullivan does as a kind of classic undersized move tight end, I feel like a lot of other guys on the roster already do better too. So he's not somebody I, at least on this roster, I don't expect a whole lot from him. Potentially, maybe he goes to a practice squad, maybe he gets picked up by another team that could really use his services. Uh, but I, I don't expect he's got a long-term future in Seattle just because of everybody else that's already on the depth chart. But it doesn't mean he's a bad player. Again, in a vacuum, both Swain and Sullivan, I really liked his picks. Uh, I just don't expect them to put up really any numbers at all as rookies. Yeah, I don't think Swain puts up numbers as a rookie. I do think he probably gets some number four wide receiver snaps as a rookie. You know, Florida had two other wide receivers who were much, uh, who were actually both at the Senior Bowl, who were much more uh, sort of widely heralded. And Swain was a guy that popped on tape while I was watching those guys versus Auburn. Now, Auburn had their Mm -hmm. entire secondary drafted into the NFL. And the guy that caught all the balls in that game all day long for huge gains was Freddie Swain. And I was like, who is this guy? And then I realized he was eligible this year as well. And I was like, oh, Florida has three wide receivers, not two. He had six catches for 146 yards. That's 24.3 yards a catch and a touchdown in that game. And he just kept killing Auburn, like big catch after big catch. That's when Freddie Swain hit my radar. I don't think he's going to start anytime soon, just like you, but I bet Russell's going to like his game. And look, the Seahawks... um, are really good at bringing in no-name wide receivers, quote-unquote no-name wide receivers, who they get down in the 5th and the 6th and the 7th and even undrafted. Doug Baldwin's undrafted. Um, You know, I'm not saying he's Doug Baldwin, but these guys come in and they start getting catches and earning spots and then somebody moves on in a contract and it's like, oh, oh, that no-name wide receiver core. But, uh, you know, Russell loves those guys. And Freddie Swain, I think he's going to sort of warm up to Freddie's game. Stephon Sullivan, a guy we got glimpses of at the Senior Bowl, which is kind of good because LSU, uh, he had, you know, 12 catches for 130 yards, no TDs. He's only got 46 total catches in his career down in Baton Rouge. Big rangy guy standing next to him on the field at the Senior Bowl after practice. I was like, man, he's he's tall. Um, sort of outgrew his wide receiver spot. And I just think it'd be really interesting if he were to make the roster. I think all the the reasons he might not um, or make the practice squad that you cited are completely valid. But I would love in a sort of fantasy world to see inside outside switch routes with him and Metcalf <laughs> Ooh, because yeah. they're similar frame wise, right? Sullivan's 6'5", 242. Metcalf is 6'4", basically 230. Metcalf faster for sure in a straight line, 4.33. Uh, Sullivan was pretty fast. He was the second fastest tight end this year at 4.66, which isn't blazing, but it's it's good at that size. Again, 6'5", almost 250. And man, if you put them in a sort of, uh, so line them up in a straight Y, slide them, motion them out to the slot, and then run a nice little cross sort of scissors route with Sullivan to the boundary and Metcalf going up the inside seam. Um, Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. All of a sudden I'm like, good luck finding a safety that can deal with that much size. Yeah. Deep down the so, field, that's, that's so tough to deal that's with. My, yeah, that's my sort of best case fantasy scenario. The The more likely case is, look, they have four tight ends that probably make the roster in front of them. I doubt they carry five. Um, I don't think Sullivan probably carries enough value on special teams to hold a roster spot. So I would say practice squad. But again, a guy that you're getting you know, deep down the board in the seventh round, pick 251, basically the very tail end of the draft. Sullivan's a good to bet as any. So uh, I love what they did from, uh, you know, 
fourth round on down. I think the first three rounds have the potential to work out, but work out in a Seattle way, which is a, hey, we didn't see that coming, but John Schneider picked, you know, one or two out of three. If I had to bet on two, I'd bet on Brooks and Lewis out of the top three, but love the value for Parkinson, Dallas, Robinson, Swain, and Sullivan. So uh, another interesting draft for Seattle, but uh, we'll see how it plays out because, again, um, those guys have won a Super Bowl, and, and we're just sitting here talking about it. So. Yeah, speaking of uh, Super Bowls, the uh, next team we want to talk about in the NFC West just went to one and unfortunately got Mahomes at the last minute like like so many other teams did. Uh, it's and, a and verb. I, I, it's it's a verb. It happens, trust me, as a Texans fan. I know it happens. Yeah. Um, and it, it was interesting. I kind of felt it, it, was a, it was a class. It was a small class, only five picks. But it was a class to me that was doubling down on what they are. It was, okay, we got to the Super Bowl doing this. Let's just keep doing that and do it even more. And so you look at Javon Kinlaw, who I actually put Javon Kinlaw in my mock draft to them because I was like, uh, you know, with the Buckner situation, I was like, it makes sense. Like, they can't pay everybody, and they need uh, another interior defensive lineman that can come in and fill that role you know, who at the time, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was before or after the Buckner trade, but I was like, look, um, they can't pay Armstead and Buckner. And then you got also contracts with uh, D Ford and, you know, you're going to eventually have to pay Bosa in a few years. Like there, there's a lot of money that they really don't want to sink into one position group. So they get rid of Buckner, jettison him for a first round pick, or at least another first round pick. They get up in the 14th overall spot with Indy, and then they just pick basically the exact same player in Javon Kinlaw. But hmm. a guy who can give them that same value for infinitely cheaper. You know, we're, we're talking like a three and a half million dollar uh, salary this year versus 20 million. You know, so it's yep. it, I, I personally love that value. Again, ultra strong bull in a china shop kind of guy. I don't think his eye discipline is quite as good as Buckner. I don't think his hands are quite as big, uh, as quite as good as Buckner. Excuse me, um, yet. But I think his physical talent is on par with Buckner, and I think he can get there, especially with the Niners' coaching staff, who has proven themselves to be very good at developing interior defensive linemen. So uh, within a couple years, you know, if he hits his ceiling, like we're talking about a another DeForest Buckner, another you know Fletcher Cox kind of guy, just an absolute terror to deal with that can play anything from cocked nose all the way out to shit you can put him at five tech you can put him at six if you want to I mean he's athletic enough to even get some snaps rushing off the edge if you want to drop some weight like he can do anything like he's infinitely talented so again getting him at 14th overall um, and saving yourself some money I think was an excellent move and then in the theme of doubling down it's hey we drafted Debo Samuel last year let's draft another guy that has a very similar skill set in terms of creating after the catch you know getting the ball on sweeps impacting special teams but also having an extra gear over the top that I think Debo doesn't have. You know, he's like a, you know, tr- put like jet boots on Debo Samuel. And that's Brandon Ayuk. Like it's same, yeah. same kind of guy. So uh, uh, those top two picks signal to me like, look, we know what we are. Let's just do more of it and do it cheaper. And I, I love, I love everything about these two first round picks. Yeah, I don't think Kinlaw is Buckner because I think Buckner was um, more developed coming out or uh, more well-rounded, but that's not to say Kinlaw is a bad player. We got to see him at the Senior Bowl, saw him on tape plenty. Gives San Francisco this really interesting option to just unleash is the best (laughs) 
word I can think of on the interior defensive line. Mm-hmm. Kinlaw is a buzzsaw, and he will wreck things with grit, length, and power right now while he's figuring it out. Once he figures out consistent hand usage, um, you know, guys like Armstead and DJ Jones start giving him leverage tricks. He has enough ability to be the best interior defensive lineman they have within two years. And that's saying something because the guys I just mentioned, DJ Jones and Armstead, are both really good interior defensive linemen. Um, but Kinlaw's ceiling is staggering. Limitless. Yeah. yeah it's, he's it's unbelievable. So physically talented, and he just comes on every snap. He, you know, his his move is go get him, right? And he's good <laughs> at it. And that's going to be really interesting. Uh, in the meantime, while he's picking up all those things, because he's also very hungry to, hungry to learn and improve. Um, but even in the meantime, you can just say, go get him. And he can do that even against pro guards and, and pro centers. He's that good. So um, Ayuk, I think, is just made to be with Shanahan. His yak skills are what make him really intriguing. Like He's fast. Um, he's not huge. Uh, he plays pretty big. Um, but it's, he fights so hard with the ball in his hands. He is truly never say die. And in that scheme, it's going to produce some really big plays this year because we all know that Shanahan can scheme it open. He's good enough to catch it. He's got enough speed to sort of break it open. But when you combine that with this absolute unwillingness to go down, um, Ayuk's going to make some flashy plays. And did I, did I hear that Debo got hurt? Did I? Yeah, I think he also broke his foot, if I remember yeah. correctly. I, th- so, I think it was a foot injury. Yeah, so Ayuk has got a sort of bigger window here in our whatever uh, COVID football we're going to get to make a bigger splash. But um, And his return skills are just a bonus. He's got return chops. He's got return touchdowns in, in college. Um, so, you know, Ayuk is just one of those guys that Shanahan can make a lot of guys look good, um, running backs for sure, tight ends, even fullbacks. Um, but he can scheme Ayuk open, and Ayuk's got some tools to really um, make defensive coordinators in the NFC West and elsewhere pretty nervous. So I, I like both of those uh, first-round picks as well. Here, here's the one thing, though, before we move on to McTivitz with Ayuk. Yeah, because I know as soon as Debo went down, everybody's like, oh, bet on Ayuk to be rookie of the year. Okay, here the, the <laughs> Shanahan is good at at getting people the ball when he absolutely wants them to have the ball. But here's the thing: in the normal 49ers offense, like I have a copy of Kyle Shanahan's 49ers playbook, it is not easy. It, I mean, the, oh, no. the route tree, the route tree at the beginning of the three-step passing game install portion of this playbook is 24 pages long. For the route tree. Okay, it's not easy. Like, there's a reason why they gave Debo the ball so many sweeps and, you know, yeah. screens and all that Just kind of stuff. Just get it into his hands. Just get it into his hands because all these route tags and like, they had to st- all these different, you know, can calls that they have where it's in the West Coast system. I mean, you're spitting out so much language and then you go can blah, 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 and you're spitting out even more language and you're trying to keep track of two play calls in your head and, you know, all the motions like it's a lot. It's a lot. And when you know it, it's easy. It's like another language uh, and, you, and like you can understand it without even trying to think. But until you get to that point. Again, that's why everywhere Kyle Shanahan goes, it takes a couple years uh, because it, it takes time for players to understand the language, and then once they do, it's it's amazing. 
Um, you know, look at Atlanta as an example. Didn't go so well year year one. Year two, they're going to the Super Bowl. Like it, it's it takes a while, and so don't expect Brandon Ayuk to walk in here and suddenly master this version of the West Coast offense because I don't know any rookie ever that has been able to do that. Yeah, no, it's a very solid point that he's got great skills and you'll probably see a lot of the Debo model, right? How can we how can we get him the ball on on more simplistic sets and just see what he can do with those wheels and that yak and a little less down the field passing um, in terms of, uh, again, moving him to multiple spots that that complicates it even further. Now you don't need to know one job. You need to know two. Uh, so if they can keep him out of that and keep it simplistic, I think they can maximize some of his value in round one, but I'm with you. I would not expect him to be, um, league leaders just because he's not the only option in that offense either. Even with Debo down, they have a bunch of other options, um, and they're going to spread it around. So yeah, I think that's a really salient point. Uh, they didn't have another pick until literally 128 picks later. Uh, Big if you can believe it. Huge gap. Uh, all the way down to round, round five was their next pick in Colton McTivitz. I did not watch him. Did you? Yeah, McTivitz is one of those guys that didn't really stand out on tape. He seems solid. He reminds me a little bit um, of a guy we like in Charlie Heck, um, you know, in that he has some skills. Uh, he didn't seem stunning. We've talked about it before that if you're a decent swing tackle in this league, you don't stay that way for long because it's hard to find decent starting tackles and decent swing tackles become starting tackles. Um, I could see McKivitz doing that after a while. Um, they're pretty good at choosing tackles. We talked about Seattle and the positions that they're good at choosing. Uh, the Niners have done pretty well with their tackle selection. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. Also, he's a fifth rounder. Again, there's this huge gap. You know, it feels like, oh, he's the third pick you're talking about. He was a third rounder. Nope, he was a fifth rounder way down at 153. Um, you know, solid value at that point. Um, they seem to know what they like and be able to develop them. So again, benefit of the doubt. Maybe a swing tackle. He, he doesn't have great movement skills. Uh, he's got some decent mentors in the organization for sure. Um, you know, uh, this isn't really a like light the fireworks off pick or a, oh, we have to pan it really hard. It's a fifth round tackle who can probably work his way into the rotation. Um, that's not bad. I, I, I don't know what else to say about Colton McKivitz. <laughs> well, you know, what is a light the fireworks off kind of pick? Hmm. For, for Kyle Shanahan, at least, for this offense, yep. Charlie freaking Warner. And I know there's a lot of people out here going, what? Uh, why, why are you guys excited by a blocking tight end from Georgia when they already have George Kittle? It's like, no, you, you guys yeah. don't understand. This dude's going to be a monster in this offense solely, solely for his blocking ability. Yeah, this is another guy I turned you on to at Georgia, and it was watching pass rushers, and I sort of put it together. Um, you know, you don't always watch, uh, certainly you don't always watch the same opposing offenses, uh, just variety of tape and what's available and whatever else. And over the course of a couple of weeks and watching pass rushers, I ended up watching pass rushers against the Georgia offense about three or four times. And I realized that in my third game against the Georgia offense with a different pass rusher that I was writing, you know, this guy struggles against tight ends. And then I went, wait, didn't I write that? And so I had to look back and sometimes you just sort of connect these threads. And I had to look back and say, yeah, I wrote that about this guy. And I wrote that about this guy. Who the hell's a tight end from Georgia? 
right? <laughs> and I went back and I found his number and I looked him up and he, I'll be damned if he's not draft eligible. And it was about two weeks uh, before the combine. And I was really hoping that Charlie Werner was going to get invited to the combine. Now, again, as a non-flashy tight end in an SEC offense that didn't have hardly any passing yards, I thought he might not. But as luck would have it, Werner gets invited to the combine. I end up watching the combine for a couple of different reasons, but one is to see if players who didn't do things in college might be able to do some of those things in the pros. And I want to see how Charlie Warner moves because I know he can block the hell out of people. I know he's really, really good, technically sound at that and very effective. I want to see if he can run. I want to see if he can move his hips. I want to see if he can adjust to the ball in the air. And you get to see all those things in a controlled setting, but you get to see the basic building blocks at the combine. And sure enough, Charlie Werner can move. He's a pretty yep. good athlete. He's not he's not silky smooth, but he is not clunky. He is coordinated. He's fairly quick. And Werner's a guy that can move. And that's one of those things that I pull out of the combine and go, here's a guy that can block the hell out of some of the best pass rushers that this class has to offer. And he can move. And then he ends up going to San Francisco, where there is no better place in the league because nobody else understands how to use that position the way that Shanahan does. And by by that position, I mean guys that can block, move, and catch. And they have Juszczyk, and they have Kittle, and now they've got Warner. And if you put Warner and Kittle and Juszczyk in the same formation down by the goal line, <laughs> they will walk in on 40% of their attempts. They will oh walk God. in, like, untouched. Like, that is a blocking trio for the gods. For anybody that likes blocking, those three would be really hard to deal with and if he starts doing shanahan things and moving him around and putting him in stacks and motioning use check to one side and having you know kittle and warner stacked on the other side god help you you are in deep deep trouble because just such a great fit so that's why we're excited about some blocking tight end from georgia because he's pretty damn good and he can probably do more than he did at georgia Raheem Mostert just asked for a trade yesterday, and I'm like, bro, are you sure? Like, no, it, we talked about this. I, it's free stats. Like, we why? talked about this, and you opened the can, so I'm gonna talk about it now because a nobody should be surprised. Why? Who's Kyle Shanahan's dad? Mike Shanahan. And what did Mike Shanahan do with his running game year after year after year after year? Turn nobodies into all pros. That's right. He cranked a thousand yards out of whoever he threw in the spot. And if that person went, hey man, I got a thousand yards, I'm pretty good. Guess what he did? <laughs> got rid of him and got another one. He got one. <laughs> rid of him. And this is well before that was the en vogue thing to do. Backfields by committee were not favored. Like you wanted your bell cow back. We were talking about 25 carries a game was not uncommon in that era. And still, Mike Shanahan was like, oh, yeah, I got another one. All I need is the following skills. Bam, bam, bam. And why are we surprised that his kid is exactly the same way? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, in our UDFA episode, which folks can go back on the YouTube channel and find, when we talked about gems out of the UDFA class, we talked about guys with pop, two of them going as UDFAs to San Francisco because they have the skills that Shanahan needs. They're fast enough and they're good one-cut runners, right? I think one of them is Jermichael Hasty out of Baylor. Yep, and then Salvin Ahmed. 
Yep, Salvin Ahmed out of UW, right? So he's got two guys that look a lot like Raheem Mostert. Remember, Raheem Mostert was on which team? He was on like his seventh team or something, unless I'm mistaken. And Raheem Mostert, the only reason that he, I saw his agent, and look, this is his agent's job. I'm not begrudging his agent. His agent comes out and goes, well, this is really disappointing for a guy that put the team on his back and, you know, took all these yards and got him to the Super Bowl. And I'm like, uh... (laughs) You're lacking, a, them to the Super Bowl. you're lacking a little context <laughs> in that quote. I get it that it's your job to pump up your client and good for you. But look, it, it's not that Shanahan's going to go out and reload. He already reloaded. Your leverage yep. was slight and now it's gone. And you're not going to do as well anywhere else. So A, don't be surprised that Shanahan did this. He's just following in his dad's footsteps. B, he doesn't have to go find anybody. He's already got him and he got him for nothing. Yeah. And they're going to do just as well. He already still has Tevin Coleman. He still has Jarek McKinnon. If, assuming Jarek McKinnon is still alive at this point, I, I, I can't tell anymore. Uh, you know, and then obviously Jamichael Hasty and Solomon Ahmed, like they're fine. Yeah. And Jeff Wilson's there too. Like they're they're fine. They don't they don't need Raheem Mostert. And Raheem Mostert played really well. He's a good player, but they don't need him. And, yeah. and so asking for a trade, it's like, dude, are are you sure? Because yeah. when you're in 22 personnel with Kittle and Warner and Juszczyk blocking their asses off for you and you're getting 80-yard touchdowns for free, you know... It, That's not going to show up elsewhere. So I'd, this is a, I'd stick with that. <laughs> yeah, this is a case of sort of ego and, quite frankly, positional value, right? Running back... Running back is fungible, right? It is the most fungible position in the NFL. You can go get them. You can get them for cheap. You can get them for UDFAs. If you're good at identifying one or two qualities that are going to make somebody work in your system, you can keep cycling through them for very cheap. Now, great running backs. We've talked about it. Difference makers, sure, draft them high, pay them again that very affordable rookie wage scale, and then go get another one. If that's what you want to do, great. But if you're like Kyle Shanahan and you can scheme the run game better than pretty much anybody in the NFL right now, I'd say that's a fairly fair statement. And you know that you need guys that have good one-cut ability, decent vision, and a ton of speed to crack that thing wide open once they make the cut. Those guys are available. You can go get them for nothing. He just got two in UDFA. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a misstep by by Mostert, and I don't think he's going to find greener pastures elsewhere. So it's kind of unfortunate, but it's a, it's that it's the it's the junction of positional value and the ability to find people you know on the street that make it. So you just say, I'm I'm not going to give you a new contract. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't need to. Yeah. Um, before we get too long in this, uh, so here's the current receiver depth chart. We'll talk about Juwan Jennings a little bit, seventh round pick. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Kendrick Bourne, Jalen Hurd, Dante Pettis, Richie James, Trent Taylor. Could we just agree Juwan Jennings is a practice squad guy? No matter what. Yeah, I was going to say maybe he's a practice squad guy. I I hope for his sake he's a practice squad guy. That's a tough lineup to crack. While it may not be um, the A-list superstars, a lot of those guys have, again, one or two skills that Shanahan really wants, and he's got a very particular play in mind to get them the ball. Um, Juwan Jennings, if he was to make the roster, which I do not think he will make the 53-man roster, um, Man, <laughs> Juwan Jennings and Jalen Hurd in the red zone. 
Yeah, that's six. I mean, you're, you're drafting him for inside the twenties. Six, it. six, three, and six, five, and then you know, put Kittle, Usechek, and whoever else you'd like to put in there for some run blocking nightmare. Add Werner to the mix, like we talked about. Like, good luck. Uh, Juwan Jennings is a big dude. Um, Jalen Hurd's a very big dude. So uh, it would be fun. Uh, much like I talked about Stefan Sullivan, it would be fun. I don't expect to see it um, anytime soon uh, with that kind of receiver depth in front of him. Um, he's a big guy. He's got some skills. I I don't see him immediately displacing anybody but maybe the bottom guy in the list that you just put out there. Um, and again, once Debo Samuel gets healthy, he would be he would be right back in the practice squad if he makes it there. So I think that's probably his best case scenario. Yeah, so overall, again, small class, but very, very solid class, especially with Ken Law, Ayuk, and Werner. I mean, that's three guys that are going to be immediate contributors in one way or another. Um, you know, McKivis could be a swing tackle down the line, and Juwan Jennings, eh, we'll, wild we'll card, see. You know, wild card, you late know, round wild card. It's a Super Bowl team that got better. You know, what more could you ask for? Um, Moving on to the Rams, in typical Rams fashion, we got a boatload of picks here. Les Snead, Whelan, and Dillon, which seems to be a theme with him. I mean, he's always looking to make a deal. Uh, always looking to get rid of his first-round picks, too. He's another one of those general managers that would kind of seemingly fall in that trend of the last few years. If I'm going to spend my first-round draft capital on a player that I already know is good, so they use that first-rounder on uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, which is how the Jaguars got their extra first round pick uh, in, in this draft. Um, so they started out in round two with pick 52 with Cam Akers. I mean, I guess you can consider Jalen Ramsey their first round pick, so we can give him positive marks for that. Um, but round two, you get Cam Akers, a wonderfully talented running back out of Florida State. Van Jefferson also in round two, about five picks later, who was a star at the Senior Bowl and both made us you know, look at from the bleachers going, who the hell is that? Oh, it's Van Jefferson, the receiver coach's kid. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> round three, Terrell Lewis, another guy who we're looking at from the bleachers in the Senior Bowl going, holy shit, that guy is long and strong and powerful. Uh, second, third round pick, Terrell Burgess, one of my favorite safeties from the Pac-12. Uh, also kind of a hybrid nickel guy, too. Uh, round four, one round later, you get Bryson Hopkins, uh, tight end out of Purdue, who I think was like the sixth or seventh tight end taken. Yeah, that uh, was which a bit I, of a surprise. I we'll talk about that. did not expect that. Yeah. Um, round six, Jordan Fuller, in my opinion, special teams guy. I, I don't I don't think he'll be playing much on defense, but I, I do think he'll, if he makes a team, it'll be on special teams. Uh, and then a trio of round seven uh, players in Clay Johnston, who I did not watch. Uh, Sam Sloman, the kicker out of Miami of Ohio, who I also did not watch. And then uh, Tremaine Antrim, who was right tackle at Clemson, who I almost certainly think is going to end up at guard um, because of his size, who didn't expect him to go in round seven. But again, solid value there. So uh, I'll let you go one by one, uh, EJ. First, what do you think about Cam Akers? I think Akers is a rare case where a rookie might give a team over an upgrade who had a very skilled veteran the previous season. Like Todd Gurley is an extremely talented runner. His health has held him back for the last two seasons. Uh, Akers is really skilled. Again, coming out of a garbage fire offense at FSU. 
Um, what is it about Florida schools, man? And not including yeah. Florida, I guess, but boy, Miami and Florida State last year really both struggled on offense. Um, that's a similarity between Akers and DJ Dallas, but Akers the better back between the two for sure. Um, way more talent than he was able to show there. Um, and at a position like running backs where rookies often excel quickly, right? They come on and, and they're able to pick up the playbook a little more quickly and use their natural gifts um, more so than like we were talking about wide receivers uh, with the 49ers. I think we could see some really good production out of Akers. I think he can be a lead back right away. Um, he needs to prove his leverage and power and vision as a blocker right now. He's more of a, he knows where to be, I guess. He gets in the way. And usually that rusher, you know, is delayed on their way to the quarterback, which is what you want a running back to do. But he's big enough and strong enough that he could develop into a really good blocker um, if he uh, basically drops his butt a little bit. And the running back coach will help him out with that. Um, but as a runner, very good power, really acceleration, and his cuts for a guy his size especially. Are, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Sweet so feet. Sweet we're gonna, feet. We're going to see some really good production out of Cameron because I like him a lot. I think he was – there was a lot of people talking about the top three running backs, and he was he was kind of that guy who's like the – you know, the fifth Beatle, in this case, the fourth running back. He was he was the guy that was right there. And you always wondered, is he that good? Like, hey, if he had the line that like Jonathan Taylor had, like what what would his stats look like? And the answer is a lot better. So I think Cam Akers, good pick in the second round at 52. And then Van Jefferson, five picks later at 57. Tremendous route runner and technician. He is going to carve folks up with his feet and understanding of leverage and setting up DBs. Now, again, this is Sean Jefferson, the former NFL receiver and now receivers coach. Um, his kid. So, again, not terribly surprising, but speaking of surprise, he's going to surprise more than one veteran corner this year. Like, yep. they're going to be like, rookie, whoa. <laughs> and, like, oh, okay. He he knows how to release like Keenan Allen, and he's only a rookie. Okay. Yeah, Jefferson <laughs> is going to get some people this year, which is cool. And I think he's going to be on the field more than many rookie wide receivers. He's the fourth best wide receiver on the roster, arguably right now, after Woods, Reynolds, and Cup in no particular order. Um, and I think he could take snaps from Reynolds pretty quickly. I wouldn't be surprised. And I liked Reynolds coming out of um, AM. I thought he was a really good wide receiver. I think he is a decent wide receiver and he's still got ceiling. But boy, Van Jefferson really polished for a guy coming out of college. Again, there's a good reason for that. But he showed that against some good quality DB talent at Senior Bowl. He routinely one on releases he has a variety of releases um he likes to set people up you can see it do a similar looking release and do something else um that's a lot of variety for a young route runner and he is also very sharp in physically executing those it's not just that he has a plan uh his feet are really good so uh, while he might not be the most physically talented, if you look at his sort of explosion skills or anything else, he is a guy that gets open and guys that get open are productive in the NFL. There's a, there's a kid at LSU that, that Jefferson went against named Derek Stingley. And keep in mind, <laughs> LSU has a ton of good DBs and Derek Stingley was the best one. Like he's, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Uh, he was arguably a top three corner in the entire nation as a true freshman. Uh, pretty insanely talented kid. Van Jefferson ate his ass up. I mean, he killed him. He used four different releases in four straight plays, Uh and Stingley didn't know what the hell he was doing. Uh, You know, even 
even Devontae Smith, for as much damage as he did against Stingley, Van beat him more often. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 was, it was pretty insane. Like, he's such a good technician, such a good route runner. Uh, again, not he doesn't have the same kind of gas as some of the other receivers in this class, nor the size, the leaping ability, anything like that. But he's Keenan Allen. Like, and Keenan, you know, was a day two guy as well, mostly because of a knee injury. But, you know, even Keenan wasn't like the most physically gifted dude out there, but he can run a damn route. And and Van Jefferson is the exact same way. I'm huge, huge fan of that pick. Um, circling back a little bit to um, to Cam Akers, uh, you, you, there's one kind of theme that I've seen from a lot of the offensive coaches around the league. They're all trying to find their own Taysom Hill. Because they've seen they've seen what Sean Payton can do with a guy that can run and catch <laughs> and throw. I know the play you're talking about. <laughs> but a Florida State did that multiple times where they had Cam Akers mm-hmm. as Wildcat quarterback and it worked and he threw because Cam Akers played quarterback in high school, but he transitioned to running back in college. But mm-hmm. he can still throw. He can, he can still really throw. He is not yeah. one of the Wildcat guys that you're like, oh please don't throw it, please don't throw it, like. He looks like that guy because he's squat. Um, he's not short. Like, he's he's tall for a running back, but he, he's built much more like a running back these days. He doesn't look, especially with his pads, like he's going to be a great thrower. Uh, but the one I'm thinking of rolling out towards the right hash uh, definitely sees, you know, three defenders coming up to knock him off and just casually throws a 35-yard dart. Yeah, like it's a dime too. Nah, I mean, he <laughs> throws a rope, and you're like, "Whoa, that doesn't look like a running back throwing the ball," and it doesn't. Um, so yeah, that is a fun little wrinkle that um, I don't think probably escaped the watchful eye of Mister McVay. You're you're gonna see it. I guarantee you. Yeah, you're gonna see it down in the red zone. Um, they're they're gonna go wildcat. And it's whoever doesn't do their homework is gonna get caught by it. Guaranteed. Or they could do pitch. Honestly, Goff could oh, pitch yeah. and go the other way, and you know everybody's going to come up, and Cam Akers is going to throw it over their head to yeah. Woods or whoever 100%. else. percent. And yeah, it's I yeah that's I was remiss not to mention it because he he can really throw. It's not just that he does throw; he can really throw. Yeah. Um, God, and again, it, this draft I think was really really good beyond Akers and Jefferson. Who I think we both mm-hmm. like. Terrell Lewis in round three, man, he would not, if he didn't have health issues, he yeah. would not have been there around three. That's it uh, for this year's health with Lewis. Yeah. Any other year he goes probably end of round one as somewhere in the 25 to 32 range. Uh, but this year people couldn't check on him. Um, yeah, he's just got way too many tools to, to last this long, but it was injury and we've talked multiple times in this series about injury and COVID and not being able to have rechecks and all that. So a lot of length, six, five ton of pop. He doesn't really look stacked because he's six, five, but he's almost 250 pounds. So he looks long and lean, looks a little bit like a basketball player, but he is almost 250. Um, Mm -hmm. And when he's one of those guys that when he puts those things together, whoo, you just the, your breath kind of leaves you. You're like, whoa, oh my <laughs> goodness! Like he's yeah. got length, he's got burst, he has strength, and when he locks a guy out with one arm at six five, that guy's like three feet away from him. Um, yeah, it's it's blistering when he puts all that together. There's just very little you can do. They and in terms of edge rushers right now, they're top 
two least slated starters are Samson Ebucam and uh, Leonard Floyd. I honestly believe day one, Terrell Lewis is their best edge rusher that they have on the team. Not, you know, I think Floyd is a little bit more well-rounded. I think Ebucam, he can flash a little bit here and there, but in terms of um, size, length, power, bend, like I, I think he's going to end up as a better pass rusher than Leonard Floyd, at least in that one department. Might not be a better run defender, might not be better in coverage, but in that one department on third down, he's going to get a lot of snaps because I think he's their best edge rusher. And you look at their interior defensive line with Brockers, Ashawn, and Donald, which is uh-huh. just a murderer's <laughs> row. I mean, you're going to get see some him, opportunities for sure. You're you're going to get one on ones, but more importantly, like working on working with stunts. Uh, with Aaron Donald, with somebody with his kind of power where, you know, Donald's taking the guard with him into the B-gap and you're expecting the center to get his head around and 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 get to Lewis in time. And Lewis is just going to freaking rock him with that power and length and slip through right up the middle. Like, he's going to get numbers. Even as a rookie, he's going to get numbers because I don't think that they have anybody better than him right now that's going to play on third down. Yeah, did you? You probably did because you're more the X's nose hound than I am. But um, the thing that I think it was Coach Vass reposted it was probably last week about when you're gonna run a twist, do it double. Yeah. Did yeah. you see that Cause, one? Because because the center can't can't react. Right. So basically, <laughs> for for those of you listening at home, you basically take your center. Uh, interior defensive lineman and your right interior defensive lineman, whatever you want to call those two or whatever gaps you have them lined up in. You both have them basically rush hard and slant right. And you have the guy that you have playing on the extreme right end, whether that's your right defensive end, your outside linebacker, or if you're in a more 4-3 setup, your straight defensive end, come right around behind those guys. But instead of doing a single twist, it's a double. He goes two spots or two gaps over and by the time he gets there the interior offensive lineman is already going well nobody's coming and moving shading to the offensive lineman's left to get those two guys right slant and it opens up almost like a guaranteed hole and a guy like lewis has the length and speed to exploit that rush particularly he's going to be all up in the quarterback's face basically immediately and he can finish he's strong he's long um he's got good burst and that rush in particular made me think oh that's a terrell lewis special man there's no way and even if the running back steps over again lewis is 6'5 250 and coming he's gonna make short work of him the vikings do that a lot with the neil hunter mm-hmm. similar frame similar length similar power like yeah, it's it's going to work. It's one of those things where it's a physics problem and the <laughs> physics problem is in their favor. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited to see how they use him. Um, not to be outdone, 20 picks later, same round, round three. Terrell Burge is safety out of Utah who can play free safety. He can play nickel for you. Like He plays tough against the run. Excellent range, excellent zone awareness. You pair him with John Johnson and Taylor Rapp if you want to go like a three safety nickel, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why I think Jordan Fuller's never going to see the field because there's already three safeties better than him on the roster. But we'll get to him later. But Terrell Burgess, as a pure safety, you know, I don't know if he would get snaps over Taylor Rapp. He definitely wouldn't get snaps over John Johnson. But as a kind of hybrid safety nickel, like if they want to go more towards that route of like a two, four, five, Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, he's going to be on the field a lot, and he's going to be really, really productive in that role. Yeah, interesting stat came out this week. I saw a couple of different people put it up that, um, you know, everybody says nickel is the new base because it is. It's run more often than whatever the quote-unquote base defense is. But interesting stat from last year, dime was actually run more than nickel. Yeah, it was so, like 20% to 18% or something like yeah, that. So dime is the new uh, dime is the new base, right? Dime is run more than base and more than nickel. So having enough or too many, I guess you can't have too many good defensive backs is not a problem, right? You, you find a space and they're going to play and play often. And Burgess is a perfect sort of role player in that new modern NFL because he's really versatile. He's gutty, he's gritty, he's tough, he can play around the line, he's savvy. They rotated him at Utah back to too high free safety if you want. He's not really a single high free safety, not built like that, but they played a bunch of too high free safety at Utah and he was fine with that. Definitely, I would say, more fun or more interesting, closer to the line, playing more of that strong safety or nickel role. And and honestly, quite frankly, lined up at quite a few snaps at what would just be straight nickel. It's not really yeah. strong safety. And was very good there, very productive. And he will mix it up. He's physical. Um, he and you mentioned Taylor Rapp, the current starting free safety or strong safety for the Rams, know each other from Pac-12 play. Uh, Rapp from Washington, Burgess from Utah. Um, there, he can just kind of get right in Taylor Rapp's shadow, learn a lot, and he's going to be on the field, so he's going to be getting reps, which are very valuable to young players. Uh, Burgess is a really good add for where they got him. Yeah, I mean, again, four straight picks, bangers, all of them. And then Bryson Hopkins comes in round four, and you're uh, like, damn. No. Gift like, basket. That I is mean, a gift basket right there. But you look at the tight ends, because Colby Parkinson went ahead of him, which, again, no no real problems with that. Um, but there was like a run on tight ends, like in round three and four, uh, that started with Paul, uh, Parkinson. Weirdly enough, Devin Asiasi went in round three, too, ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And there was all these guys that are rolling off the board. And I'm, I, I when he got picked, we were on the live stream, and I was like, he was still on the board? What? Yeah, like, wait. Uh, how did that happen? If, if you had gone to Vegas two months, just two months before this, or even I would say six weeks, if you'd gone to Vegas six weeks before the draft and said, I'll put money that Colby Parkinson gets picked before Bryson Hopkins, you would have gotten great odds. They'd be like, <laughs> be a yep, millionaire. <laughs> I will take your money, right? Because... At one point in the process, actually, when we were at the Senior Bowl, this was still sort of the general mindset that Hopkins was either TE1, he was certainly TE1 at the Senior Bowl, but there were people talking about Bryson Hopkins as TE1 overall. It was basically mm-hmm. between him and Cole Komet. And universally, he was thought of as one of probably the first two TEs off the board at that point. For people that say, you're crazy. No, go back and look at all the mock drafts, all the tight end rankings from six to eight weeks before the draft. He wasn't outside the top four. I don't care whose rankings you were looking at. Um, And the fact that he fell to the Rams all the way where he did, I think it's actually, whisper, whisper, probably more in line with his actual value. I didn't really understand the Hopkins love... um, I'm not saying I had him going that late. I certainly didn't. It's probably uh, a good solid round after where I think he would have been a good value. So I would say it's closer to his actual value, not his actual value. Um, But really surprising that he was there that late for the Rams. Pick 136 in round four. 
But um, Bryson Hopkins, we've both seen him up close. Um, he's a really good tight end. Um, I think he lands in a great spot. The way the Rams use their tight ends are going to mesh really nicely with his best skills. And they didn't have to overpay to go get him. They didn't pick him in round one or round two. Um, so they've got Higby, Gerald Everett, and Hopkins gives them three sort of different skill sets. We talk about uh, we talk about stables with wide receivers and stables with running backs. Tight ends the same way. It's like who's your why, who's your move. Um, you know, if you have an H, okay, fine. Um, now he's got you know McVay's got three different guys that can do three different things, and it's going to be really interesting, especially in the passing tree. That's where Hopkins is going to give him a little more value um, for his tight end spots. Look, he's a decent blocker. Um, his dad was an offensive lineman, uh, in the NFL, uh, Brad Hopkins. So he knows a little bit about blocking, but he's not a great blocker. He's what I would call kind of a solid blocker, but he's a much better receiver. Um, so he really does slot right in between sort of Everett, who is the classic, smaller, lighter, faster move tight end and Higby who can move, but is a bigger guy. Um, and is definitely more of their classic sort of Y blocker. Yeah, I and that's the thing is he's directly in between the two guys mm-hmm. that they already have, but I think he's more well-rounded, and I think in the end he's going to end up stealing a lot of snaps because I think if you want to go like YY for some looks, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go into twelve personnel and like really lean on that zone run game, Hopkins again he's not a great blocker, but I think it's enough. Like he can just get in the way. Um, and, and get in the way well enough to get Everett off the field. But I also think he's a better receiver. So if you want to have him as the Y, like if you're running like a, you know, deep play action uh, pass concepts that they like to do, like, you know, Y over and all that kind of stuff off bootlegs, I think he can do that better than Higby. So you're, you're getting Everett on the field um, as kind of your move tight end and then Hopkins as your better receiving option at Y. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to end up stealing snaps from both of them for different reasons. But he's probably the most well-rounded tight end on the roster right now, and I was I was with you. I, I expected him probably go somewhere around the third round. So to get him in the fourth round, all the way at pick one was it thirty-six? Hell of a value. So I, again, Les Snead pick after pick after pick was just rolling in, and we're we're giving golf claps. Seems like the whole draft stream to to Les Snead. Um, the first pick that I was kind of questioning a little bit was Jordan Fuller because I don't like drafting slow safeties, but. Mm. Um, if you're projecting him solely as like a special teamer, like mm-hmm. I could see it, but I, uh, you know, if you're a safety, uh, weirdly enough, I think he got, um, a little bit lucky with the school he was at playing free safety behind Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett, where mm-hmm. you really don't have to do a whole lot of work. Uh, and, and you really don't have to be rangy because anything outside the numbers, they're going to stop anyway. So I think he kind of lucked out and his four, six, seven speed wasn't punished as much as it would have been at some other schools, but in the NFL, guess what? It will be punished. So again, I don't think he's got the speed to be a starting safety, but I think he's, he's smart. He's, he's good against the run, at least for a free safety. He's good against the run. He gets in his fits on time. Um, I think he could be a special teams contributor, like really, I think you're hoping for him to be like the Matthew Slater of safeties. Like that's what you're hoping for, which can justify a six round pick. But as a as a pure safety, I don't really expect anything. Yeah, Fuller's maybe a little miscast as a straight free safety. Well, definitely miscast as a straight free safety. 
Um, but another guy that caught my eye in movement drills for DBs at the Combine, hadn't paid a lot of attention to Fuller because, look, I paid a lot more attention to his teammates, but he's got good size, 6'2", 205, and he's a fluid mover. He really does have good feet. Now, what he doesn't have is a ton of explosion, and his 4.6740 stock sunk him in terms of draft value. But this is a guy that was a captain, a three-year starting, single high safety at Ohio State, first team all Big Ten as a senior who goes late in the draft. Now, we just talked about dime as the new base, right? So you're going to be playing, you know, six DBs. There's a role for Fuller. Now, is it, you know, singling up and going deep against speed threats? It better not be, not if you want your team <laughs> to survive. But yeah. can you play a guy? Like you said, he's good against the run. He's got good size, 6'2", 205. Um, that's only, you know, 15 pounds off a lot of starting outside linebackers who... Four six would look pretty good for right, so you can put him in as that dimebacker, as that heavy near the line. Do I think he's going to be displacing again any of the Rams starting safeties? I don't, but if you need a guy that can run, maybe match up versus a tight end again. He's got length and he's he's fluid in the short areas. I could see a role for him. Do I think he's going to get there right away? No, but again, you're getting a smart guy, captain at Ohio State, right? First team All Big Ten. Um, and you get him because his explosion scores weren't great. And look, his 40s not great, but against tight ends, we just talked about, hey, 466 was the second fastest tight end in this year's draft class. He ran 467. Fuller ran 467. So he's literally as fast as the second fastest tight end in this year's draft class. There's a role for Here, that. Here's guy. a question for you. I, it just occurred to me since you mentioned you know, not using him how he was used in college mm-hmm. um, and at least not exposing him to his weaknesses. Not if you're you also smart. Mentioned, <laughs> not if you're smart. Um, you also mentioned his size. And again, good against good player against the run, really good at getting into his fits. 6'2", 205 is on the, the bigger end for a modern-day safety. Who did they just lose? Corey Littleton. Yeah. I mean, I add, could add see 10 some pounds, of it. Yeah, Littleton is pounds. bigger. No, he's bigger, but you add 10 pounds and you solely, and I mean solely, play him as dime linebacker on third down. Yeah. Which we, we see some teams do it. Like the Cowboys do that with Jordan Lewis. They mm-hmm. play Jordan Lewis sometimes as dime linebacker against like scat backs uh, when like they know they're going to pass. And it's like, let's let's just get a guy that can match up with those kinds of threats because we know for damn sure he's not going to match up against the Will Fullers of the world. Yeah. Maybe you put on some weight and he can do that. Yep. Um, and maybe that's what they're they're expecting of him. I I don't know how they're going to use him. That is one way that I would be comfortable using him. Mm-hmm. But the way that he was used at Ohio State, absolutely not. Not I in the pros. Never, no, I, no, never, way. never, ever, ever. But again, if you've got that kind of guy, you got a smart guy. He understands. He's very experienced in a Power Five conference. He's got good size, which you can't teach, and he does have good feet. He moves. That was the thing that caught um you know my eye at the combine. Look, you're getting this guy pick six or, you know, round six, pick 199. If he, if the experiment doesn't work and he doesn't become, you know, Corey Littleton 2.0 or whatever they want to use him as, his dimebacker third down specialist, like, who cares? He's a sixth round pick. You're going to get some special teams value out of him. But if it does work, you're genius. Yeah, it's true. It's, and especially after the first five picks, you know. Oh, yeah. You're playing with house money. Playing with, it took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. Playing with house money. Um, I did not happen to watch Clay Johnston, their seventh round pick, the linebacker out of Baylor. Nope. I, I know you 
you yeah okay so we're in agreement of we have no idea um Mm -mm. we'll see and then i i clearly didn't watch uh sam sloman either because i don't know what i'm looking at when it comes to kickers i I think Uh, we need a sticker i think we need a bootleg sticker (laughs) we don't watch kickers we don't watch kickers we we leave all that to pat mcafee to comment on that's right um i did watch tremaine antrim though yep me too is it antrim or ankrum i think it's antrim but antrim okay i you know, don't quote me on that because I look, I'm clearly the guy on the podcast that butchers more names or uh, juxtaposes last names on players. Uh, so let's let's not count on me for for those two things. The the first game that I watched of him, I threw on Ohio State. I was like, all right, let me see this guy against Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just let's just see. And yeah, there was I, you question the size, you question the length. Young certainly had an easier time with him than um, uh, God, who's their left tackle? Shit! I, I, I literally, I guarantee I, his last name is not shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is gonna this is gonna bother me, especially because I literally have talked to him before. Why am I totally blanking on this? Anyway, uh, the Clemson left tackle is gonna be a decently high pick next year. He's a really really good player. Uh, Good chance he'll be like one of the first three tackles taken. I can't um, wait to- for the comments on YouTube. I know. I totally apologize <laughs> that I'm blanking on his name. I, there's so many tackles to look at. Good player. Good kid. I've talked to him multiple times. Great guy. Uh, but Ant- uh, Antrim specifically. God, this is a whole mess. I'm so sorry, Clemson fans, if you're listening to this. Uh, he survived against Chase Young. He-, he got beat a couple times, but he hung in there. And again, he's not super big, not super long. Um, but when he gets his hands on you, it's very similar to, to Simpson, the guard that came out of Clemson this year. When he gets his hands on you, he latches and he's really hard to get off. So I think you move him into guard where I think his movement skills and his natural upper body strength can help him out a lot. And his length and just lack of overall size won't be punished as much by really long and explosive pass rushers like Chase Young. You know, you really kind of leave him in a phone booth and let him just fight. I, I think he fits there. This is one of those rare like seventh round picks that I do expect to make the roster, and he really fits McVay's offense too because I think he's a, a decently uh, good lateral mover in the run game too. Uh, so again, big fan of that pick. I think it was a great value, and I I think he's going to make the fifty three. Yeah, Rams got a steal here. Uh, look, uh, when you're talking about the seventh and anybody that's going to stick and could play meaningful snaps, even with any Jackson year or two, Carmen, Jackson Carmen, that's well, his name. Fuck. There we go. Okay, continue. Sorry. No, I know how good it feels to actually remember those things, so I'm glad you did. Uh, he's on the short side, Antrim. Uh, arms too, but he's got good feet, um, solid power. He is going to have to get used to the monsters who play interior defensive line in the NFL, um, but I think he's going to be a very solid swing interior offensive line player pretty quickly with his skills. Look, very experienced player from the ACC. You get a guy like that in the seventh, like he's well worth that pick. And I think you're right. I think he probably doesn't get kicked off the roster and probably even hangs around as an NFL player for quite a while because he's a skilled guy. He definitely maps better to guard in the pros, um, but tackle experience isn't going to hurt him at all. Uh, You know, it's nice to have that understanding of what the guy to your right is actually trying to accomplish. Um, So I was, again, it's just a cherry on top of what was a very, very solid draft for the Rams. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think they probably had the best class in the division if I was going to pick one. Um, I And then it's kind of a tie for the second place, but I, I, I truly think Les Snead knocked this one out of the park. And 
if you're including Jalen Ramsey in their overall draft haul, uh, yeah. hell of a job, hell of a job. I think this is exactly the kind of class they needed for a bounce back season. Hopefully we have a season, but uh, it's, it was exactly what they needed to replenish depth um, to kind of fill in some some holes that they need to really get back into this thing in the NFC West, which is a brutal division. So overall, great job by Les Snead. Uh, and that brings us to our last team, the Arizona Cardinals, who... Uh, <laughs> who we stood next to in the bleachers. <laughs> a, yeah, that was actually first day. We we're all freezing was, our asses off. That was crazy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we've told our Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime story before, but uh, they're, they're, they're a good group. I, I really like um, what the Cardinals are building there. I think they have some foundational pieces, especially Kyler Murray, who I think is going to be a, a stud for a long time. Great, great young quarterback. And I love Cliff Kingsbury as a coach. I think Steve Kime is a good general manager overall. But I will say their current roster, and you brought this up with me uh, before the show, it's not deep at all. Uh, they are they kind of remind me of the Texans of like five or six years ago where your perception of the overall depth of the roster is not accurate because of the star power they have. But beyond the star power, you know, Kyler, Hopkins, um, Buddha, Patrick Peterson, Chandler Jones, like they're, they're starting 22. Uh, at least most of their starting 22 is really good. It's when they start taking like two injuries, like they, they can't afford to lose more than two guys. And if honestly, if they lose the wrong two guys, if they lose Chandler and they lose Buddha, their defense is terrible. You know, if they lose Kyler, it's over. They don't have a good backup quarterback. If they lose Hopkins, they're in trouble because as much as we love Larry and as much as we love um, Texas A&M kid they drafted Christian, a few years Christian ago, Kirk. Chris, Christian Kirk, none of them are DeAndre Hopkins, and it's not even close at this point. Like Prime Larry, yeah, sure, but the Prime Larry left a long time ago. So, like, they are ultra, ultra thin. They're going to win some games. In fact, I'd venture to bet they're going to be w- over 500 uh, and probably challenge for a wild card. But if they start taking injuries, they are screwed because they are razor thin. Yeah, you start going through this roster, and now, look, this is the last team in the last draft recap podcast, so we have looked at literally every player in the NFL. We've looked at every roster in the NFL uh, as it stands at this point. And the thing that struck me about the Arizona roster as I looked through it is, again, I had that shine about the roster. It's like, man, they got some good young talent. They got Chandler Jones on defense. They got Patrick Peterson. They got Buda. Oh, yeah. This is a great roster. And as I, as you really dig in, which is what we're doing here, we're looking into the dark corners of their roster. And there's a couple areas that are pretty darn good. Wide receiver, very solid. Running back, decent, right? I think Kenyon Drake gives them an option that's going to work really well in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Talk about Kyler, but you look behind Kyler and you're like, oh, oh man, if Kyler goes down, they're they're completely screwed. They don't have anybody at back of quarterback, right? They got Brett Hundley and um, another guy who, uh, yeah, I don't even remember scouting him, right? Drew Anderson, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You look at their offensive line and like their best is DJ Humphrey. And then you're like, who's the other tackle? And that's not, um, that might be common for the average NFL fan. It's not common for Brett and I to go, who's the other? Because he was like, oh, it's this guy. And I was like, actually, that's not the guy that starts for them. He's like, really? Um, so yeah, when I, th- you, I thought it was Marcus Gilbert, but it was Justin Murray. Yeah. Which, and, you know, <laughs> as you look at a roster like that, you start to go, hey, there's this really 
thin, shiny veneer at the top. Like, and let's not take away from that. Kyler's really good. Buda Baker's really good. Chandler Jones is amazing. One of the most underrated players in the NFL. Um, you know, obviously DeAndre Hopkins, great, great, great wide receiver. But if you take like five guys off the top, that roster does not have anywhere near the depth or development potential that most of these other rosters, as we're looking through, I had the alternate experience. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. I really liked him coming out. Now, maybe he hasn't done anything in the NFL, but that guy's got potential. That guy could grow into a role. Oh yeah, that guy's a really good swing backup. I can't believe he's not seeing the field. It's not like that with Arizona. It's the opposite, right? You go through and you're like, who? What? That's all they've got? You know who they are? Who? They're they're the they're the bizarro Buffalo Bills. Because <laughs> Buffalo has a million dudes yeah. that are just good football players. Uh-huh. And have been assembled stars. over the last few years. Yeah. Really largely over the last three years. So I'll give you that. That you know, but it just in having looked at every roster now in the NFL, I really came away from the Arizona roster going, Man, A, they better not get hurt, and B, even if they don't, um, it's it's pretty rough in spots. Like outside linebacker is is the one that really comes down to it right now. They've got uh, Isaiah Simmons, the top pick we're going to talk about, slated as an inside linebacker. And that's actually where I said I thought he'd probably play best in our much, much early pre-draft talk about Isaiah Simmons um, that you actually posted on the film room. But you look at outside linebacker and like, okay, Chandler Jones, awesome. <laughs> the other guys are Vontarius Dora from Louisiana Tech. Kylie Fitz from Utah, a former Bear, uh, who didn't stick with them. Devon Kennard from USC. And Hassan Reddick, who was a big name. Everybody's like, Hassan Reddick, who hasn't really done anything with them from Temple. Um, and then Reggie Walker from Kansas State. Now, if you could have named any of those guys besides Reddick, just because of his name recognition and that he was a first-round pick, I would have been pretty impressed. Um, the chances that any of those guys are going to do anything at the outside linebacker spot, because Chandler Jones was this team on defense, and we don't need to get sidetracked in the weeds on that. Um, but the it's representative of the rest of the Arizona roster. Kime has put together this a sort of high-talent sheen on the top, and boy, everything that sits behind it, besides like defensive back, they're pretty good, uh, and wide receiver, they're pretty good. Like tight end, mm-mm. Offensive line, mm-mm. defensive line, like not outside linebacker, but defensive line, uh, not, no, <laughs> uh, you know, running back behind Kenyon Drake, mm, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I will say, though, that this draft, I feel like if there's one thing that it did, it was improve their depth in some key areas, yep. particularly defensive line, for sure, particularly front seven. And yep. I'll, I'll just kind of roll through it because it was mostly mostly defense. Uh, so they had six total picks. Round one, they had Isaiah Simmons. Uh, then they didn't have another pick because they traded their second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. Womp womp. Uh, <laughs> round three, <laughs> round three uh, they came back and got Josh Jones, who never in a million years I thought would be there, but he was. Great pick for them. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season he's their best offensive lineman. Um, and then round four, they doubled up on defensive tackle, which they desperately needed some depth. So they got Lucky Foto and Richard Lawrence. Uh, round six, they got one of your favorites and Evan Weaver to give them some linebacker depth behind Simmons and Hicks, who I assume was going to be their two starters. And then round seven, they picked up Eno Benjamin, who is one of my favorite day three values of any team. 
um, who I think is going to get significant snaps rotating with Ken, uh, Kenyon Drake. So I think every single one of their picks was both necessary and on value. Um, I'll start with Isaiah Simmons. He's not a safety to me. He's not a nickel to me. He's not an edge rusher to me. He's an inside linebacker. Uh, they caught a lot of flack for saying, we're going to start up an inside linebacker and maybe expand out in future years. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to stick at inside linebacker because that's where he's best. Um, he doesn't quite have the feet or the hips to play nickel. Um, I think he's got range to play free safety. Like He's super fast, but I think it's wasted. I think you really want him as close to the ball as possible. So I, I would leave him down low towards the line of scrimmage. And I, I would really want him more to be a run and chase player from the middle of the field than coming off the edge. So, you know, overall to me, I think his best spot is inside linebacker. I think he'll make the most impacted inside linebacker. Uh, he's got good instincts, unbelievable range. I think he's got the length to get off blocks. Um, and I, I think you can use him almost like a, honestly, like a supercharged version of Shaq Thompson. If I was going to have like a, a comp there, um, but potentially like, better than Shaq Thompson. So I, I, I really, really am comfortable with that fit. I don't want them to move him around. I don't want them to overload him as a rookie. Learn this one spot. Maybe we can talk about throwing in some extra roles in certain packages down the line. But for now, keep him at linebacker. He's going to be excellent there. And while I was in favor of, of prioritizing offensive line in the first round, the fact that they got away with getting Isaiah Simmons and a good offensive lineman in the third round, I think they they really did an excellent job there. Yeah, if they didn't bookend it with Josh Jones, it would have been more widely panned as a move. Um, but there were a lot of teams that um, were afraid to do this, notably the Panthers, who came out after the draft and said, um, we just weren't really comfortable with what we might be able to do with them. We think some other teams might be able to do it better, which was like, huh? <laughs> it was an odd statement to make, but it's true. Arizona said, sure, we'll do it. Um, you know, you don't want to do it, we'll do it. And, you know, we talked a lot about Isaiah Simmons. We don't need to go into that. Folks can go back and find that discussion if they want to. But, yeah, we basically said keep him close to the line and keep him somewhere in the middle and use that range. And I kind of want to work this uh, almost inside out or backwards. Let's go down to round four and look at Lecky Fotu and Rashard Lawrence, two walls in the middle. These guys are massive yep. space eaters. So Lecky Fotu from Utah, just a powerhouse, 330, really, really strong and Richard Lawrence, uh, you know, uh, captain, defensive tackle off the LSU team, who is uh, very much a run plugger um, with some dynamism. He's got a little bit more than that. Reminds me of a little bit of a guy like Eddie Goldman, um, who is very stout against the run, but occasionally flashes through. And hey, he's got more, you know, maybe a step more than you thought he did. Um, but basically, you put twin towers in front of your new toy, right? You say to those guys keep Isaiah Simmons clean and it reminds me a little bit of what the Bears did in front of Brian Erlacher who is a com uh, not a comparison player overall um, to Isaiah Simmons but has some similar traits in terms of size and speed and the ability to get down the middle of the field and run with people and what they did to keep Erlacher clean was bring in Ted Washington and Keith Trailer and say mm -hmm. basically keep 54 clean and let him be a run and hit linebacker now Look, Erlacher could take on blocks and shed him on his own. He was 260, but sure better if he gets a clean shot, right? So just lets him maximize his gifts. And this setup 
the way they drafted and with the initial plan of where they've got Simmons listed reminds me a little bit of that. Put two really stout guys in the middle, make it really hard to get to Simmons, and then let Simmons use all that speed and range and have a free run at the ball. And not to mention, I think Hicks is an underrated run defender. Buddha's an underrated run defender. Like, Buddha's so good out on the edge. Nothing's getting outside of him anyway. And so I, I think they're really setting up Isaiah Simmons to be a tackle machine. Yep, middle triangle. He is the great eraser. And not to mention on third down, the fact that he can cover running backs, he can cover tight ends. You know, you're not going to be able to box him out because of his size and length. You're not going to be able to outquick him, like unless your name's Christian McCaffrey. Like it's a it's a short list of running backs that I think can beat him in space. So I I again with what they're building around him, it's not just the fit at position. It's what they're surrounding him with to maximize that fit. They're doing an excellent job with that. Um, and and we've mentioned Josh Jones several times now. He was one of the more technically proficient tackles in this class. Um, we talk about pass rushers rushing with a plan. He protected with a plan. Very, very good at what's called independent hand placement in terms of knowing when to punch with the inside hand, knowing when to punch with the outside hand, always having high hand, low hand placement so you're not you know, um, too high or too low. You always have one of each, so it's really hard to counter. Um, you know, if, if you neutralized his hands, he was good at resetting. He had good feet. I mean, just really, really, really strong technician. Not the most explosive guy, not the biggest guy, not the longest guy, but we've seen tackles of his dimension that have really good technique thrive before, and I think he's going to be another one. And that's why, again, I think he'll be even better than DJ Humphreys, even though he's a third-round pick. And DJ Humphreys was probably their best offensive lineman last year. So I think by default, Josh Jones is going to end up being their best offensive lineman by the end of this year. And... um Man, they were sure lucky that he was there in round three because if they picked a linebacker in round one and then didn't get a starting tackle out of it yeah. in, in round three, they were going to be in trouble. Yeah, they would have got they would have got a lot more flack for it. So again, lucky that Josh Jones was there. Um, like you said, Jones, one of those guys who was just outside the top four offensive tackles, uh, and the top four offensive tackles in this draft were really good, and he was kind of like that four point five. Um, one of the things I will say about Josh Jones. Uh, in terms of size was that guy is the most cut offensive tackle I've ever seen. Like he's like Tyron Smith in terms of like body fat. Like, I don't know what his body fat is, but like, yeah, when he got a six pack. (laughs) Yeah. When he walked across the stage at weigh-ins at the senior bowl, which is an odd event to start with, I was like, who they, no, they had to screw the card up. Like, Usually offensive linemen are a little bit round, like they're trying to keep weight on, right? They, they're they eating 5,000 calorie lunches. You know, that's that's a thing with offensive linemen. And there are guys that are in shape, but they're not cut. And like Josh Jones at his size, which is over 300 pounds, was cut. And I was like, are you serious? Like he's, that's Josh Jones? Because, you know, he doesn't have a jersey on. And, uh, I was like, no, that is like he is in ridiculously good shape. He is very strong, um, very technically proficient for all the reasons you mentioned in terms of both hand and foot placement and working those together, what we call marrying your top and bottom half. Um, So I think he starts uh, certainly at one of those tackle spots at the latest by the end of the year, as long as he's healthy. I can't see literally it's DJ Humphreys and Justin Murray in front of him. It's like, eh. Yeah, like <laughs> he's, I, he's, he's, gonna get he's better than one of them. 
for sure. Yeah. And the cool thing is, if he earns that, which we both think he will, Kyler Murley gets a good young tackle who he gets to get used to protecting one of his edges for a while. Like Murray's only got one year of service. You get a good young tackle and they get used to each other. Um, it's a bit like a pitcher and a catcher getting used to each other, right? There's some unspoken communication about at what point are you going to let people go? Are you going to push them wide? All that stuff is sort of unspoken language between quarterbacks and their offensive tackles. And he gets to sort of start that groove with Josh Jones and they could be together for quite a while. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I know one of your favorite picks, probably in this whole draft, uh, was the Cardinals in round six. They took Evan Weaver, your guy, out of Cal. Uh, he is the polar opposite of Isaiah Simmons in almost every way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I can athletic, see that for sure. Athletically speaking, yeah, athletically he, speaking. he's no he's no Isaiah Simmons. Let's put it that way. Um, but, but instinctually, yeah. I would say they're six and seven were two of my favorite picks in the whole draft because those guys are guys that I stand for really, really hard. Um, but Weaver's really interesting. Uh, he's better than his testing numbers indicate. He's not completely rangy in space as a cover guy. He is not your true sideline to sideline linebacker, but I think he takes more crap for that than he really deserves. He has better range than people give him credit for. People are like, no, he's a two down linebacker. He's only between the tackles. He's only a go forward guy. And I was like, ah, not if you look at his tape, right? He's got better range than that, but he is not a fluid sideline to sideline guy. Um, he is one of the best tacklers in the draft. Very, very physical in short zone coverage. He will give it to you and knows how to deliver impact when he arrives. Uh, the folks that know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about here. Some people tackle people. Some people are, you know, grab and drag. Some people deliver a shot when they show up and that's weaver he loves it and he's very good at it it's not that he is a hitter and not a tackler he is both and that's pretty rare in college football these days to find a guy that wraps very very well and also ends up putting people on their back um, very good forward burst, surprising forward burst, good on things like a rolling blitz. Um, not good as a pure rusher, but on the rolling blitz, he was more effective than I thought a lot of people thought he was. Um, good forward burst, but that lateral agility is a little bit limited. Very smart player, though, so he puts himself in the right spots mentally, which makes him look a lot faster than he is. And he gets off blocks very well. He loves being able to lock a guy out with one arm, leave that other arm open, and make himself what I call available, which is open to hitting people. Um, one thing he struggled with in college, and he will struggle again with it specifically in the pros, is mobile quarterbacks. Like truly mobile yep. quarterbacks, he he just can't hang. So, um yeah, that's that's one limitation. But again, this is a guy you're getting down the board, smart starter, uh, led all of the SBS and tackles with 159 last year. Uh, this guy knows how to get it done, and he is a middle run eraser. Like if Isaiah Simmons becomes the tackler that Evan Weaver is, forget it. He's going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right like weaver is so good at shutting down that interior run game uh basically draw that triangle from the middle linebacker spot out just past i would say the numbers anything in that zone he is coming for he is a vacuum well you look at the division that they're in it's kyle shanahan 
it's the Seahawks, it's Sean McVay. They're going to get run on a lot, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what the score is. Like, these teams run on third and seven for fun. Like, that's that's just what this division is. They run the damn football. So I think you draft Evan Weaver to give yourself a little bit of depth, and that's kind of the theme of this draft class is protection from your starters getting hurt because they were so razor thin. You know, last year, you know, if Hicks wasn't on the field, their run defense was terrible because they didn't have anybody else. Now, I think Simmons is a tackle machine. Evan Weaver is an even bigger tackle machine. Now you have a little bit of protection where if you lose Hicks again, I think you're fine. Yeah. And, and that alone better, for justifies sure. the pick. Yeah, yeah, better for sure. So, And then the guy, we both love this guy for different reasons. We watched him at different times. Um, but Eno, 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 Eno. I love... Eno Benjamin. I crave running back tape. Folks that follow me know that I save my running backs like candy for the end. And then I do this huge blowout like Halloween where you eat the whole bag and maybe steal a little bit of your sisters too. I end up doing like 23, 25 running backs every year because I just love watching the tape and I use it as my carrot to get to the end of the process. Um, Eno was my find this year. I put find in quotes that um, was a back that I knew something about, uh, was familiar with him. Um, but when I did my full study, it really blew me away with the completeness of his game. Good receiver, nice burst, really nice feet, drive to finish runs. Um, patient makes the most out of nothing better than most mid-tier backs in this class. He's got jukes, spins, cutbacks, slash cuts, and he'll use them all. And he links them together more often than most guys do. And he always seems to, at the end of that run, twist, contort, extend, get every little last bit and squeeze every little last yard he can out of the run. Just such a fun running back to watch because he's got so many tools and almost all of them are good or better than average. When I was talking about um, pass rushers at the top of the show, I was saying I'm looking for that one trait that they do really well. Um, same thing with running backs, but you say, oh, he's got that one good spin move, but his cuts aren't so great or his catching isn't so great. Like all of Eno's skills are good or better than average. Um, and that's really rare. He's going to be so useful. And I agree with you completely that he's going to get a bunch of snaps. Um, even if Kenyon Drake is the, is their lead guy, Eno's going to earn some because he just makes yards. If he's got a negative, he's a decent cut blocker, but he really needs some technique, tune-up, stand-up, pass pro. Um, he he knows where to be, but he has this really weird trait, and Arizona fans look out for this. He doesn't use his hands when a guy blitzes. He just bodies them. <laughs> and and, and his, his balance through contact when he's blocking mm-hmm. is unreal. He is so scrappy as a pass protector, and you see that in the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl where we're watching these linebackers that got 20 pounds on him, I mean, just go barreling into him. And you would think that physics would take over and he'd go flat on his ass, but Mm-mm. he stays up. I, I don't know how, but he stayed up. Yeah, and, and the weird just, thing is he's hitting with his body, like his chest, his core. Yeah. And you're like, dude, that's not how you do that, right? You get your hands up and use them like a shock absorber, but he doesn't. So if he gets that, uh, that'll be great. That's certainly a key to him getting on the field, but you'll, you'll love this. And this is a great way to close out the series and the show and everything. The last note in my report about Eno Benjamin, who is the last player we're going to talk about, is basically an affordable Clyde Edwards-Lair. 
I was just going to bring up Clyde Edwards. I was going to ask you. There it is. I was going to ask you. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round or Eno Benjamin in the seventh? We love CEH. Favorite running back in the class. Yeah, it's not even close. Like, I'd take him in the seventh because, again, we just talked about running backs being fungible, and Eno is so much better than people give him credit for. If you can get that guy in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh, just from a value perspective, it means you can do something else with your first-round pick. Nothing against Clyde. We both love him to death and have spoken at length about how much of a favorite he is of ours. But Eno is easily 85% of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Easily. The, I mean, you look at even just a linebacker, like because, you know, they took a linebacker in the first round. Let's just say a linebacker that went in the range of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You know, Patrick Queen went it was like four picks earlier. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have Patrick Queen and Eno Benjamin, or would you rather have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and... I don't know, pick a seventh-round linebacker. Yeah. Like, even Evan Weaver, I'll give you a sixth-round linebacker. Yeah. It's, it's not no. It's not close. No, the balance there is not good. And we can talk all day about team building, and we basically have because we're almost at two hours now. But uh, love, you know, Benjamin, for all you folks out there that are asking us to do a fantasy sort of sleepers podcast, like grab, you know, Benjamin, just even if you don't yeah. own Kenyon Drake, just grab, you know, Benjamin, he's going to get some snaps anyways, might steal some touchdowns. You never know that that offense is going to be very unpredictable with Cliff running it. But, Eno has talent and talent tends to shine through at the running back position. Um, if he gets a break, whether it's this year or next year, like people are going to be like this, Eno Benjamin kid, I had no idea. And you're going to say, Nope, I listened to bootleg. I absolutely knew that Eno was a stud well before most. So yeah. Anyways, that's a hell of a series. We went through the entire NFL, man. Yeah. And I, I feel like I didn't make enough drinks to, to properly, uh, enjoy. I mean, that was, that was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot of hours. I mean, we're talking like, what, 16 hours, something like that? Uh, getting close, probably. Content. Yeah, about 14. Oh, we did 17 for the live stream, so it seems to be our <laughs> that's average. True. That's true. Yeah. That's about right. So, yeah. I man, hell of a series. Uh, I can't wait for, God, what is it, three months from now that we're going to have to start doing the next one? Because it seemed like we took so long to do this one. But <laughs> I think we might give ourselves, yeah, a bigger break. But for me, it was great. We got to go through, again, every roster, have now seen every player, every position group in the NFL. You kind of get to rank them one versus the other. Um, you know, I talked about path to playing time for these rookies and what we can kind of expect from them. So for me, it feels like... Uh, I'm more prepared to go into whatever we get for a season than I probably ever have been because I have never done that much comprehensive work top to bottom in the league. Maybe a division, certainly on a team, but never for all the teams. And that feels really good. So it was worthwhile. Uh, hope hope you guys enjoyed them. Um, I know a lot of people said they're just uh, sort of bookmarking them like a library to bring back out when they have to do fantasy drafts. Hey, good on you. However you want to use them, however you want to share them. Um, you know, keep them from your, uh, teammates or, or your league mates maybe in fantasy, but share them with your family that you don't play against or something like that. Um, by the way, I just had my dynasty draft and my first three picks cause I was super light on running backs. I went Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Eno Benjamin, back to back to back. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got some you got some fun stuff in there. But uh, thanks so much for hanging with us. We really appreciate it. We are not done with content. We are not packing it in for the rest of the summer. Heck, we're still in quarantine like probably most of the rest of you guys. Uh, and uh, we've got 
stuff lined up. We have our we, we get to play now. This was a great idea that maybe was a little bit more to bite off than either one of us was thinking about. But uh, we're freed up now, and we uh, we have some ideas about some interviews, uh, some guests, uh, some interesting little deep dives that we want to take. So hang with us. Look for more new content. Um, should be coming out almost weekly. Of course, you know we can't guarantee that because, well, we're us. Uh, but we'll get it out to you as quickly as we can. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Later. Later.